Uh, Nehemiah is in front of Psalms, so if you open your Bibles to about the middle, for those of us that don't have Bible apps, uh, and go back or for, or yeah, backwards towards Genesis, uh, you'll pass Job and then Esther and then Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah chapter uh, 8 this morning. And I want to preach this morning with a view towards the challenge of uh, encouraging you and, and challenging you uh, to commit yourself in 2016 to, to reading uh, God's word uh, regularly. So we're going to read this morning Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 12. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who understand uh, what they heard, who, yeah, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And then, and he, he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Anani, Uriah, Hilkiah, uh, Masai uh, on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, uh, Malchuja, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, uh, Meshulam on his left hand. Uh, I want to just say these guys on his right and those guys on his left. But, uh, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And he opened it, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. They bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces uh, to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, uh, Shabethai, uh, Hodiah, uh, Maasai, uh, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hannah, Pelei, and the, Levi, uh, the Levites helped uh, people understand the law, while the people uh, remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, uh, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor of Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day, uh, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send Portions and make rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Let's uh, start this morning with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just ask that you would speak to us from your word today, uh, that we would delight ourselves in, in you and, uh, and that you would have uh, things for us to learn and a challenge for us. I pray, Lord, uh, that we would have uh, such a sweetness as we hear your word. Uh, that we would have such a joy as these people had uh, and were instructed to have. Lord, it is such a privilege to gather here freely, and we were even all able today to, to bring our own Bibles and have it uh, in, in hard copy or on our computers, Lord. Just such an amazing thing that is, that we can carry around your word. Lord, give us a heart to listen to it, ears to hear it. In your name we pray. Amen. So I thought I'd start this morning with a, a little picture 
Um, I don't know if you can read that. It says, you know the name of every alien race character in the name of, in the Star Trek universe, but you can't be bothered to read the Old Testament. I, I like Star Trek, so that was kind of like, ooh, yeah. I, I like reading the Old Testament, but, but sometimes it's easier to remember things in Star Trek because, because I love that. Um, you can go to the next slide. That was just kind of, uh, last week I did Star Wars, so this week I had to get a Star Trek in. Now we're done with all of that. But, um, uh, the character there was one of the captains and he was yelling. Um, but uh, this this sermon today is, is sort of um, a tradition that I've taken upon myself for the last number of years, uh, every last Sunday of the year, uh, to preach on reading through the Bible in the new year and to challenge people uh, to actually try to read through the whole Bible uh, in a year. Uh, and it kind of has meaning and value to me on a, on a number of different levels. Uh, one, uh, the pastor that mentored me uh, when I was just out of Bible college used to do this every year and challenged me uh, and the congregation to read through the Bible. And over the years, uh, many people had, had taken up that challenge, and it, it proved to be profitable uh, in their lives. That's Pastor Reed out at Lebanon. Uh, he was mentored uh, by Pastor Jansen Hartman. Now, some of you that have been around the BFC, you might you might know that name. He was the pastor in Reading, and Pastor Hartman used to preach regularly on reading through the Bible uh, in a year. Uh, pastor Hartman actually led Lorna uh, Good to the Lord, and so she remember. I asked her this morning, do you, do you remember him ever preaching on reading through the Bible through a year? And she said yes. Well, Pastor Hartman, when I was about 13 years old. I had visited our church in, in Blandon, uh, and he preached on reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, and that was the first time I heard that. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever been challenged uh, to do that. And so I started, uh, again, I was probably about probably 12, actually, 11 or 12. And um, I started reading the Bible one chapter a day. Uh, and then later on, as I got used to doing that, I, I picked up the pace, and it took me about a year uh, and a half uh, to read through the Bible. Uh, but I did it, and, and I owe Jansen Hartman because of, of that challenge. And so this is sort of a, uh, in terms of the tradition, I am the third generation of pastors that's going to try to give, uh, give this uh, challenge, and I hope that it will be meaningful to you as well. So our main point this morning is read through the Bible in 2016. So let me just say this. Uh, I'm going to set the bar high, and the challenge is going to be read through the Bible in a year. Okay? If you feel like, oh my gosh, I could never do that, there are a whole bunch of other things you can do to read the Bible in the new year. Uh, if you're like me, when I first heard the challenge of reading through the Bible in a year, uh, maybe some of you kids uh, as well, or some of you teenagers, just start with a chapter a day. Uh, and then as you grow, just increase it. it. It's kind of like weightlifting. You know, you don't start out and put 100 pounds on the bar and then just lift. Uh, you start out light, and you get used to that, and you add a little bit, and you get used to that. Uh, Bible reading can be sort of the same way. Just like our kids, my, my kids are learning to read. Morgan's learning to read. And uh, we don't start out and, and say, well, here's Paradise Lost. Why don't you read? Read War and Peace. That would, and we start out with, with the little books, the, the See John Run. John can run. John really can run. See John Run. Uh, you start out reading in that simple way, and then you begin to grow. Well, reading the Bible can be much like that. Don't necessarily jump right into Leviticus uh, and say, all right, I'm going to nail this thing. Uh, you start out in places that you're familiar. Start out small. Start out with a chapter or two. But the goal is to work towards reading the Bible in a year or even reading it more uh, than that. So our first point this morning is simply that God's people need to hear God's word. We are in a passage of scripture, uh, and, and over the years you, you start to find new passages to challenge us to read the Bible. But, but we're in a passage of scripture where, where God's people, like each one of us, needed to hear God's word. Uh, let me just kind of give you the setting a little bit. Uh, this is after uh, the Israelites have come back from exile in Babylon. 
So if you remember your big picture Old Testament history, right? Uh, the, uh, the, the Israelites come out of Egypt. Then we have the time of, of the judges. Then we have the period of the kings, starting with King Saul and David. And, and the kingdom gets worse and worse. And God sends various people, Philistines and such, to attack them. Then we finally get to the place where Jerusalem is destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And he carries everybody away. It's the time of, of right around Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then we have the book of Daniel, where they're in Babylon. Then after that, in around the, the 600s or so of B.C., before Christ, the people come back to the land. They are, are let go from being in Babylon. And you have Nehemiah, who, who rebuilds the wall around the city to, to protect the people. This is about 600, 500 to 600 years uh, before the coming of Christ. Then you'll remember you have some of the last prophets, Malachi, prophesying around 400 B.C., and you have 400 years of silence, and then you have the angel appearing, appearing to Mary, which we've just been talking about the last few weeks. That's kind of the, the big picture. They have just come out of Babylon, and they are going to worship God in God's city in Jerusalem uh, near or around uh, the temple, which was uh, being rebuilt. So it says in verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses and uh, that the Lord had commanded Israel. So the people gather to hear God's word. And it says then in verse 3, And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. Uh, if you ever think my sermons are long, just be glad we didn't start at 6.30 and go till noon. Uh, in the presence of the men and the women, uh, those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Then it says in verse 4 that Ezra was up on a wooden platform. And then in verse 5 he says, Ezra opened the book uh, in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Uh, the standing would have been a, a sign of respect a sign of of reverence uh if we were here if if today uh the queen of england or the president of the united states were to come into the room we would all stand i would think as a sign of respect uh, if you are at a wedding and the bride begins to come down the aisle what does everybody do they stand why because she's the most important person on that day uh, if you're the groom, it doesn't matter. You're just there for the effect. Uh, you're, you're the side piece. The, the bride is the one who gets all the honor. So they stand because they are respecting the word of God. They are, are reverencing it. I won't ask you to stand through my whole sermon this morning. Uh, I trust that you can uh, revere and honor the word of God uh, sitting down. Uh, they also put Ezra up on a platform. Now, I tend to think that this is just um, for logistics so that everybody can see him. Uh, it also probably would have helped his voice carry. Uh, poor Ezra. I, I always wonder what it would be like to be a preacher uh, before you had microphones. Uh, Spurgeon, in one of his books for training pastors, has a whole chapter on, on uh, training your voice to, to project. Uh, we didn't really have to talk about that. Uh, in seminary we maybe they said check the battery in your mic and that was about it moving right along um, you can imagine a, a crowd of, of thousands of people and and you are one man trying to to reach this with your voice some people say one of the reasons that when Jesus preached uh, some of his teachings he would go out on a boat and go into the water a little bit some people have said that was so that his voice would actually reflect off of the water and, and it kind of creates a natural amphitheater sound so that everybody could hear him. I don't know if that's the only reason or, or if that's even the main reason, but it certainly makes a, a bit of logical sense. It's interesting to me that, that there may be some symbolism here in Ezra sitting up on a platform. They've stood for the word of God. They've put the word of God in a position of honor. 
Uh, I don't know if this is the case in their time or place, but I do know at various times in, in church history, uh, do you know where the idea of a pulpit came from? The idea of the pulpit, particularly uh, in, in England during the Puritan and Reformation eras, uh, was so that you are honoring the word of God. Roman Catholic churches used to have like altar things up front and they'd have the, the various things for the ceremonial stuff. And if you've ever been in, a, in, in certain churches, they'll have like two pulpits, one on either side, but the main center is, is sort of what they call the altar. Uh, we tend to put the pulpit in the center to say that the word of God is central. And then they used to build their churches at various times in church history. And, and I've been to one or two of, of churches like this, actually a newer church that did this, where they would like put the, the pulpit up kind of in a little loft. And so you would all sit on, on your pews and you would have to kind of angle your head back. It's, it's sort of be like sitting in the front row of a movie theater where you're like, oh, my neck is craning. But, but the reason historically that they did that was the symbolism that you were looking up not at the man, but you are honoring the word of God. Now, the symbolism doesn't always carry through to today. It doesn't always mean the same sort of things. But the heart intent that we should honor the word of God, that we should respect it, that we should realize this is not just a book written by human people. This is the very word of God that brings life to our hearts and to our ears. And and we need to listen to it. And, And don't honor the man preaching it, honor the word that is being brought. And so Ezra reads the book of the law. It says in verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. All the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting up their hands. They bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Uh, I'm not going to read all those names again in verse 7. They read from the book, verse 8, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So they worship God, and then they read God's Word. And, and the, it says the priests are, are giving the sense. They are explaining the meaning. Uh, this is very much like what I am trying to do to you right now. I am, I am reading the verses and I'm trying to give you the sense of what it means. And we'll, we'll talk in a little bit about some applications in terms of, of what we should do with it. But the first thing we're trying to do is say, we want you to understand what you're hearing. We want you to understand some of those things that, that, that might be a little bit foreign to you, that you might not understand the, the tradition or the culture or the reason uh, they, they did certain things. We need to come and, and understand the sense. Moses had written the book of the law probably around 1400 B.C. or so. This would have been Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy. Uh, the time here is, is in the 600s. Uh, so we're talking uh, over uh, a thousand years or not quite a thousand years between when some of these things were written and when the people were hearing it. So there's a little bit of time gap, a little bit of things that you, you might not understand. And we have that, that same thing today uh, when we read uh, certain passages of Scripture uh, we might not understand certain things, and so we have to explain uh, the sense of it. We have to explain uh, what the meaning is, what the purpose was. For example, you're reading in, in the um, book of Genesis, and Moses, uh, God takes Moses and he, he separates Moses from him, or excuse me, Abraham from him, and he cuts these animals and spreads the parts and, and then God walks between them. Well, what, what in the world does that mean? And I'm tempted to say, well, come back some other week and we'll explain it. But, but you have to explain the sense of that. And that's the idea when, when they made covenants in the Old, Test, or in the Old Testament times. Uh, kings would even make these covenants and they would, they would have their servant or the person that was professing loyalty to them walk between them, and it was a way of saying, if I break my word to you, let me be destroyed like these animals were. 
And so in this, God makes a covenant, and we would expect Abraham to walk through these animal parts spread on either side to say, well, if I break the covenant, let me be destroyed. But instead, God walks through. And it's a picture of God saying, I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to show you grace unmerited. And, and let me be destroyed if I fail to keep these promises. Well, what can destroy God? Nothing can. That's the point. What can cause God to break his unconditional promise? Nothing can. And so there we've just explained the passage and we've explained the sense. And I imagine that this is what was going on. It's what needs to go on today. We need to proclaim the word of God and preach it, but then explain the sense so that you guys know that what I'm hearing is God's very word. But as you are hearing it, you are, you are coming to an understanding of it, saying, oh, yeah, okay. And so as you're coming to an understanding of it, you can go out from here and say, okay, now I need, this is what I need to do to obey it. Or maybe you're, you go out from here and you're motivated to say, wow, I'm going to worship God more because look at who he is and his grace. The preaching of the word of God needs to explain the sense We call this in our day expository preaching, laying it out, as it were. This is why I like picking books of the Bible and working through passages of Scripture rather than just saying, well, we'll take one verse from Nehemiah and we'll take two from the Psalms and we'll take three from the book of Romans and we'll we'll mix them all together and we'll see what kind of cake we can bake out of that. He wants you to work through and understand the Word of God. Second this morning, rejoice when you hear and read the Word of God. So in this setting, God's people had the Word of God read to them. In preaching, I try to start our sermons by reading the Word of God to you. But I want to take the challenge one step farther than this passage goes, and and we could throw in other passages, but but read the Word of God on your own as well. Uh, Most of us, would not want to go through the week surviving on just our Sunday dinner. How many of you want to eat just on Sundays and be like, okay, I'm good, I'm full for the week, I'm done. In in the same way, we should read God's word regularly uh, in our own lives rather than just saying, well, the pastor preaches really good sermons, I'm good for the week. Uh, Read it regularly, take it in. So rejoice when you hear the word, rejoice when you read the word of God. So at first what happens then is the people of God, they hear the word and they weep. So it says in verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priests, and the scribes, and the Levites, who taught the people, uh, who, yeah, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Why would they say that? Well, the next line tells us, For all the people wept as they heard the word of God, the words of God. They started crying. And, and I don't think, although there may have been elements of this mixed in there, these weren't primarily tears of joy. These were tears of sadness, tears of sorrow. They were hearing God's commands. They were hearing all the things that they had done wrong. All of the things which at the end of the day, that's why they ended up in Babylon. And now they're outside, they're back in the land, and, and, and their hearts are breaking because they're realizing, wow, God really did judge us. And we really were sinful. Did you ever encounter someone who doesn't think they're all that bad? Maybe you were like that at a, a certain phase in your life. You're like, well, you know, I've never murdered anyone. I've never stolen anything. I'm, I'm not really that bad. I, I can give you ten other people who are worse than me. But then you read something in Scripture and it pricks your heart. You go, wow, I am, I am worse than I thought I was. Maybe my sins are secret and, and that makes me feel even more guilty. Maybe I realize the lusts in my heart or the things that have been going through my head and and I begin to be ashamed. And then I'm ashamed because I hide them. 
imagine that this is something like what was going on as they read the Word of God and it was exposing their hearts. So they wept for two reasons. One, because they understood their sin. I've already been saying that. But God's, God's law, the purpose of God's law, the purpose of God's commands is it exposes sin. Uh, Romans 7, 7 says this, What then shall we say? Is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Uh, This happens to us today. We hear the word of God. It brings conviction to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. And then, just two verses later, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And what should we do with it, he says? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. The word of God at appropriate times and appropriate places brings correction. I'm not talking about the pastor who who every Sunday beats us over the head and 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 rubs our noses in it. That's not biblical conviction. We're talking though about laying out the scripture and preaching it and it brings these points up in our lives where we need to hear I shouldn't be doing that. And I need the reproof and I need the correction and I need to be turned back through through repentance and confession of sin. It's what Scripture does in our lives. It's part of feeding on it. It doesn't always tell me what I think I need to hear or what I'd like to hear, but it does tell me what I need. There was a, um, not too, too, a couple weeks ago, uh, the president of uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, his name's Everett Piper, uh, was talking Uh, about an incident he says this he says this past week he said I actually had a student this was at at a Christian university I actually had a student come forward after a university chapel service complaining that he felt victimized and he puts that in quotes I guess that was the word actually used he felt victimized by a sermon on the topic of first Corinthians 13 Uh, you know the love chapter He said, it appears this young scholar felt offended because a homily on love made him feel bad for not showing love. In his mind, the speaker was wrong for making him and his peers feel uncomfortable. I'm not making this up. Our culture has taught our kids to be this self-absorbed and narcissistic. Anytime their feelings are hurt, They are victims. Anyone who dares challenge them and thus makes them feel bad about themselves is a hater, a bigot, an oppressor, a victimizer. I have a message for this young man and all the others who care to listen. That feeling of discomfort you have after listening to a sermon is called a conscience. An altar call is supposed to make you feel bad. It's supposed to make you feel guilty. The goal of any good sermon is to get you to confess your sins, not to coddle you in your selfishness. The primary object of the church and of the Christian faith is your confession, not your self-actualization. Obviously, he's not talking about people who are real bigots or real victimizers, and that's the sort of thing that is shameful. But he is talking about this... uh, delight that the human heart has to never hear that it's wrong. We always want to hear that we're good. We always want a pat on the back. And there are appropriate times we're supposed to use Scripture to encourage one another, to edify, to build up. And yet, Scripture brings conviction. The second reason that the people of God here are weeping is they had heard the curses of of the covenant. Give you a little bit of big picture of scripture again. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and 29 lays out what is called the curses of the covenant. God says, you're going to get to this land 
And these are the things that I've instructed you to do. And he gives blessings to the covenant. If you live this way in the land, you'll be fruitful. You'll have victory over your enemies. You'll, your families will multiply. It will go well for you. He's, he's laying out the terms of what faithfulness looks like and what faithfulness to God produces. And then he brings curses of the covenant. And he says, if you don't keep the law, if you walk away from me like you did at Mount Sinai, when you turn to a foreign god, he says, there will be drought. There will be famine. Remember all those things that Elijah faces with the drought? This is why God keeps his word. He says, nations will come in and destroy you. And then he says, finally, and a big nation will come, and it will take you out of the land, and you will be gone from the land. And then Deuteronomy 30 changes the tone a little bit, and it ends with a sense of hope, and it says, and when you are in that foreign land, not just if, but Moses says, I know you guys, well, this is Moses speaking through God, I know your hearts, I know what you're going to do. So he says, when you're in that land, God will call to mind these things, and if you repent, I will bring you back. That is exactly what happens and exactly what people are experiencing in Nehemiah's day. And you can imagine the sorrow as they're hearing the law and saying, we really did walk away from God. God was really right and just and fair in his judgments. The convicted heart, and this is true in our lives, when God convicts us of our sins, we are not just sorry that we got caught. We acknowledge that what God did was right. And it brings sorrow that God had to do this because we were that sinful. And I can imagine the people in Nehemiah's day hearing those passages of Scripture, hearing Ezra read them and saying, oh my goodness, we really did walk away from God. This is why they have to be told to rejoice They tell them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine. Why would they say this? Why would they basically say, go home and celebrate? Because God has forgiven those sins. And how do we know that? Because he brought them back to the land. They are here hearing the word of God. And they can celebrate. And they can say God kept his word and God was faithful and God has restored us, not because we were good, but because God was gracious. In the same way, when you hear the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and you confess and repent and you hopefully do that regularly in your life to stay refreshed in your relationship with God, you can at the same time rejoice. It can be special If you are feeling conviction in a particular sermon, you can bow your head quietly in prayer. You don't even have to close your eyes so that I don't think you're sleeping or something like that. You can just say in your heart, Lord, I, I see some sin here being exposed. Forgive me of that. And then you can rejoice. You don't have to continue to wallow in in pity. You can move on and celebrate because God does what he promised he would do. We too should rejoice when we hear and see the word of God. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. We can rejoice even when it points to our sins and our failures because the idea is that it moves us beyond because it it turns us to Christ and Christ takes away these sins, gives us hope and good news. Think of it like going to a doctor. You go to a doctor and he tells you you have some illness. And you're not happy that you have the illness. You don't, all right, yay, I'm sick. I've got to pay the drug company lots of money now. But he prescribes to you a cure. And you walk out of there. You may not be happy with the bill. You may not be happy with the diagnosis. But you're excited that you've identified the problem so that you can begin the treatment. 
Did you ever have one of those aches or pains, one of those diseases, one of those illnesses that you go to like three, four, five doctors and they can't figure out what it is? And then you go to the specialist and they go, oh, yeah, I know. I know what that is. And they tell you right away. And in the back of your mind, you're like, why did I go to these three other guys if you, I could have come here first? But, but did you ever have that, that emotion, that anticipation that you're just like, oh, whew, now I know what this illness is. Maybe you were dreading that it was cancer or, or your kidneys were shutting down or something horrible. And, and, and the one doctor goes, no, you just have a, a bulging disc on your back. That's why you have this pain. And, and the simple fix is some therapy. It's like, now you know. And, and it can lift the burden. And as you go out, you take the cure and you take the treatments. In the same way, conviction of sin is, now I know. I can turn to Christ and I can find forgiveness and I can move beyond it. I don't have to wallow in self-pity. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You can't bury your sins. You can't hide them away. They will be exposed before God who knows everything. How much better is it to hear God's word and to confess them? They are already exposed before God, but how much better when we bring them and say, I see what I did was wrong and I'm sorry. That is how regular spiritual growth happens in our lives. This is how God was working in in the lives of the people here to bring a, a new season of renewal to the people of God. Something else that I want you to just think about Most of the people in that setting, hearing the word of God, could not read. Just if if we follow the statistics of how many people could read in the ancient world, not very many of them could read. It's very likely that for a large number of these people, this is one of the first times they're hearing the word of God. Hearing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, books that we have to this day. Uh, They didn't have all of the New Testament, obviously. They didn't have large portions. They didn't have some of the Old Testament probably all put together at this time. But they at least had the first five books. And they're hearing it for the first time. Even more, you've you've got to remember, uh, and this is just something I sometimes forget when I'm, I'm reading through scripture they didn't have easy access to copies of the scriptures it was hard to have a book in the ancient world if you lived any time before the was it 1483 or so when when Gutenberg invented his printing press all the books had to be written by hand uh, one book would cost probably as much as all the books I have in my library right now Maybe that's an overstatement, but they were pretty expensive. And, and so they would have had scrolls written out. It's hard to make paper. It's hard to get them. You, you didn't just carry around books. Oftentimes in the ancient world, synagogues would have a, a copy of God's law, but you didn't have your own copy. Uh, how many of you brought a Bible today? And if you don't have a Bible, you can go down to Lifeway and you can pick from like a hundred different types. You want a brown cover, a blue cover, a pink cover, uh, a Hello Kitty. No, they don't have Hello Kitty covers. But, but you know, any, any type that you want is there. Then you can pick your translation. Do you want the ESV, the NAS, the NIV? I mean, we have this plethora. And then if that's not enough, you can get on your Android or your, your, your iPhone and you can download the app. You can download multiple apps. And I can pull up a Bible program and, and pop up on my screen the Hebrew, the Greek, and five different English translations. I can run out of room on my screen. We take it for granted. 
part of the reason they had this this sorrow, but then this joy, or they were instructed to have the joy, is they heard the words of life. I heard a story one time. It, it came from a missionary, I think, and uh, I don't remember all the details, but it was something about in, in Russia during the USSR and where the churches had to meet in secret. And I'm sure this goes on today in North Korea and China and, and Middle Eastern countries where the church gathering in secret had one Bible. And, and they would take that Bible and they would very carefully pull the binding apart. And, and this week, uh, the Gemmels would get the book of Romans uh, and the Douthats would get the book of Hebrews. Uh, and, and the Shafs, we would, we would give them the Old Testament. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, you know, but, but they, would, they would divide up the scriptures and you would take it home. And, and you, can you imagine not having the whole Bible, but you just have that one book for the week or for the month or till you meet next time? And how much they just poured over that. And they read that like crazy because who knows when the, last, the next time they would get that book back. And, and heaven forbid someone gets captured or raided and, and that part of the Bible get confiscated and, and then the church doesn't have a whole Bible anymore. Can you imagine? We have more access to the Word of God than any other period in history. And I would just guess, if statistics are right, we read less of it and care for less of it we only had one Bible, how much would you cherish the pieces that you were allowed to take home that week? If the only time, if you couldn't read, and the only time you could hear the Word of God was if you came to church and someone read it for you, how easy would it be to come to church at 6.30 in the morning and hear the Word of God from morning until midday? You ever hear the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt? Sometimes it's with our over-familiarity with the Word of God. Not real familiarity, but just the fact that it's everywhere. We ignore how precious it really is. I want to challenge you. Read your Bible this year. Read your Bible. However much you read it last year, maybe you say, well, I only read it once a week. Try to read it more. Whatever that number was, try to increase it. I'm going to give you some practical tips. And this is our last point this morning. Just resolve to read your Bible this year. So first, commit yourself to reading the Bible in the new year. Uh, pick a plan to read something or read it and stick with it. Uh, you ever hear the phrase, to, to fail to plan is to plan to fail? Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you don't plan something, it's not going to happen. Uh, so, so pick a plan. Um, just like you would if you were working out or counting calories or you had a goal to save money, uh, you would plan it. You would put it on your calendar. You would remind yourself. Uh, if you miss a day in reading your Bible or you miss two days, don't, don't beat yourself up. Uh, if you skip a meal at your house, if you get so busy and you just miss lunch, you don't go, that's it, I'm never eating again. Um, don't do that with your Bible reading. Well, I've, I've fallen behind on this reading through the Bible in a year. I'm totally off. I'll never make it. I'm just going to give up for the year. Just start up wherever you are or start up in whatever program you pick and keep reading. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, when people leave today, I'm going to pass out a little tract. And, and you can take this home, and it is a reading through your Bible in a year tract. And it has two readings every day, one from the Old Testament, about two or three chapters, and one from the New Testament, usually about a half a chapter or so, depending on the lengths of the chapter. And if you follow this nice little chart, and, and this is what I use, and I mark it off every day uh, or every day that I remember to read, I'm about three days behind right now. So, so even pastors uh, goof up on, on these things. But take it and use it. And if you don't like this one, go find something that you do like. But if you take this one home, you'll at least remember well, if I don't do that, pastor says I have to find something uh, to read through. You can find a lot of Bible reading pro pro uh, plans. You can find apps for your phone. 
If you're an email person, you can get it emailed to your inbox like every day. Just go online, and I think it's safe to probably Google Bible reading plans, uh, and and you can find uh, something. Uh, Let me give you another just practical tip. Uh, Pick a readable translation of the Bible. A lot of times we don't read through the Bible because we we read an old translation that's hard. Um, King James translation was good, but we don't speak Queen's English anymore. So it can be a little rough to read. Uh, Pick something that you can read. I grew up reading the the New International Version. If you like that one, read that one. Today I read the English Standard Version. That one's good. Uh, Even the New Living Translation uh, is is enough that it's not too much of a paraphrase uh, that you can read. But pick something uh, that is is readable. Um, Pick also a consistent reading time. Some of you are morning people, uh, not me, but some of you are morning people, and you can get up, and the first thing you'll do is read, read your Bible. Uh, some of you, you know, you get up right away, and you can just open that phone app, and you can read it, and you can get on with your day. Uh, others, you might like to read it evening or after dinner. Or I, I knew of one person one time, they would go into the office a few minutes early. They would sit down at their desk, and that was where they could find a few minutes of, of quiet before they had to start the work day. The reason I say pick a consistent time uh, is it's much easier if you know that there's a certain time that you're going to do it uh, every day. Uh, now, some days, you, you, you know, days get busy, it gets messed up, and you get to the end of the day, and you're like, oh, well, I've got to get my Bible reading in because I missed it. But if you can try to be consistent, uh, it's a way to build the habit. Uh, again, if you don't plan something into your daily life, you're, you're pretty much planning uh, to fail. Let me challenge you. Let me give you a couple reasons why I think you should read through the whole Bible in a year. Uh, let me just say you can use this, or if you want to read just straight through Old Testament first, then New Testament, about three chapters a day will do it. But here's why the whole Bible. One, all of the Bible is God's word. Pretty basic, but but for 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired and is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. Second, uh, God wants you to know the whole counsel of his word. Paul says when he is in Ephesus, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Um, Paul must have had some amazing sermons because he was only there about three years, and somehow he, he got in the scope of Scripture. We need to know all of Scripture, and the best way to do that is read all of it. Second or third reason, I would say, read through the whole Bible, because Bible knowledge is cumulative. Uh, you ever hear the phrase, you know, I've done this so many times I could do it in my sleep? Um, you, you know, like how you drive to work the same way every day, and you just know where everything is? It's, it's the same way when you read through Scripture. It, it becomes cumulative. Uh, you read through the Bible every year, and you start to become familiar with some of those sections that we don't normally read every day. You start to see things in one year connecting, like, oh, yeah, I, rem- I sort of remember that. Or, or you see some theme in, in Exodus or Leviticus, and then you're reading in Jeremiah, and you go, oh, that sort of connects. It, it shows you how the whole Bible fits together. Um, Another reason for reading the whole Bible is it's too easy to read what we like and miss what we need. Um, it'd be easy for me to read Romans 20 times in a year and just be like, I like Paul. We're going to stick there. That's all I'm going to listen to. We might only want to spend time reading 1 Corinthians 13. Hey, this love stuff is really, well, unless you're that kid that that got convicted by it. Um, It's easy to pick out passages that we really like and then gloss over or ignore passages that might actually prick us a little bit, convict us of some sin, teach us something that we need uh, to know. That's all I have for reasons for reading through the Bible. Let me just give you one or two more just kind of practical miscellaneous tips. Um, If you're not used to reading the Bible, getting a Bible dictionary can help you. You run into some of those place names, some of those awkward names like we read today, and some of them you can can look up and you can find and and you can learn a little bit. Oh, okay, it helps you put the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, Second thing you can do is is, uh, sometimes study Bibles are healthy. 
if you use them in the right way. Now, realize study Bibles typically have a line through the middle of the page. And the things that are above, the ones with the verse numbers, that's the word of God. The things that are below is some study tools that a man has written or various people have written to help you understand it. And, and the reason I say that is, is once or twice, you know, I've been in Bible studies where someone will, will go, well, my study Bible says, and they read the study note, and you're like, well, that's really nice, but I disagree with that guy, you know. Um, most study Bibles are good, but just realize the study notes aren't the actual word of God. But they can help you. They can help you understand. I, for years, used to read uh, with the NIV study Bible, uh, and then when it had something obscure in Amos or Leviticus, where I'm like, I don't, I don't get this figure of speech. I would, I would look at the study note, and I would, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And it builds familiarity. Uh, if you don't have a study Bible, uh, John MacArthur has a good study Bible. I grew up reading the NIV study Bible, which I think they just redid for its 30th anniversary. Um, the ESV, English Standard Version Study Bible, is, is supposed to be very good. Uh, also, just kind of tips, uh, Pick a friend and read it with them. Hold yourself accountable to them. Um, and, and then the last one, uh, feel free to ask for, for help. Uh, I had one lady in our, in our church every now and then. She was plodding through reading through the Bible in, in a year. In fact, uh, after we left the church, she gave me one of these, and, and it was all marked off. And she goes, it took me more than a year, Pastor, but I finally made it. And, and uh, I saved that because it, it was just very special to me. Uh, but in the course of doing that, occasionally she would be like, I read something really weird in the book of Amos or Numbers or Deuteronomy. Could you, could you help me understand it? And, and I loved doing that. And if you are reading through your Bible, even if you're not reading through your Bible in a year, if you're reading through your Bible, you're, you're welcome to hit me up after church uh, or hit me up in an email uh, or call me on the phone even. And, and, and if I don't have the answer on the tip of my tongue, I'll, I'll get back to you with it. But, but it's something we can do together as a church and encourage one another. And, and let me just say, too, uh, those of you that are, that are teenagers or, or some of you here in the front that are, that are younger, uh, you can start doing this, too. Um, maybe you don't get through the whole Bible in a year, but maybe you can pick the New Testament and read a half a chapter a day or a chapter. Or, or pick some of the, the books of the Old Testament that were a little easier to read, like the Psalms. Or like the book of Genesis, but but start somewhere and build that into your your regular habits. And and parents uh, encourage your kids to do that. Uh, don't wag your finger at them and be like, "Well, pastor said you have to now." Uh, but but encourage them and encourage one another. Let's uh, let's close in a word of prayer for for this morning. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray that you would. Uh, encourage us and challenge us to read your word, uh, that it is good to, to hear from you. Uh, and, and really, that's, that's what we do do uh, when we read your word, that it is not just something that was spoken thousands of years ago, but it is the living and active word that is speaking to us in the here and now. In your name we pray. Amen.